0: So obviously want to dig into the uh, upcoming show out in the IE by us, and also talk about the new music and look on some back on some old music and get your opinion on a couple of things. But uh, let's get into the new album, the first in a decade. And I gotta say it slowly, otherwise I'll mess it up. Hyperrelivization? No, you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. It, I got it.
1: No, yeah, you I nailed it. it.
0: Nice, you nailed it. I mean,
1: it's a a made-up word anyway, so, you know, you you can take as much license as you want, because we did.
0: (laughs) So I'm kind of curious, man, with it being a decade between albums, is this stuff that's been building up for the past 10 years? I mean, I know you did the Grim Value EP last year and stuff, or was that just music that you've done over the past year, sitting at home during this pandemic and not being able to tour? It's
1: the latter, Yeah, John and I started recording new stuff, I guess, like two years ago now. And we actually, uh, we recorded Grim Value like right before the pandemic started. And we're just like enjoying making (laughs) dumb punk rock so much that we just kind of kept going. And before we knew it, we had an EP's worth and then an album's worth of stuff and we've been releasing some singles over the last couple months but yeah just announced this new album that like you said is the first in at least a decade now i guess or no yeah i guess about a decade uh, a week ago and put out a single called mr Sides and uh before that point relatively recently where john and i got back in the studio together, we hadn't really been doing Eve six as a creative thing. We were, you know, we were doing live shows and enjoying it, but not, but, you know, having it kind of compartmentalized as like a live business. And when we started doing this new thing, I mean, it's Eve six in some ways, but in some ways it's kind of a side project that we're calling Eve six. Um, Instead of doing what most bands do, which is have a different moniker for the thing that is maybe a little uh, not completely in the wheelhouse of like the previous catalog. But we're, uh, yeah, just doing this sort of uh, new version of the band, divorced from any commercial expectations or anything like that, and really enjoying doing it. I like to say we're LARPing as a punk band in a vacuum, and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so all kinds of questions. So was the the new album stuff was that a separate writing and recording session from the Grim Value EP? So different different sessions altogether.
1: I mean, in a way, it was just like a continuation. I mean, I think Grim Value was sort of a unintentional homage to some of our punk rock beginnings influences that never really came through in the earlier records and then once we got those first five done you know i think so, some of the some of the songs on hyper are it still has sort of a similar attitude maybe but like it's a little more psychedelic it's a little more slowed down it's a little more there's more of a 60s influence rather than like a late 70s 80s kind of punk influence but yeah we just kind of kept kept going, kept recording, and, you know, not overthinking or belaboring the process at all, moving really quickly, letting instinct be our guide, not analysis or anything like that. And if a thing didn't feel good and compelling at the outset, we would just ditch it, rather than, like, doing surgery on songs and trying to make, you know, something that's wasn't working work or whatever. This was much more uh, kind of primal. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, John and I work really well together in this capacity. We had a lineup change a few years earlier. We got a new drummer, um, Ben Hilzinger, who's great. And I think that sort of allowed us a new perspective on on this thing. And we just kind of have been following our, our whimsy ever since.
0: Well, I love it. And I love that you touched upon the, the different sound of the band. And I was going to bring that up too. And interesting. You kind of said more sixties. I was getting kind of more of almost like a eighties Gothic Bauhaus kind of vibe.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That, you know, people have been bringing, bringing the same, similar things, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a strong Bowie uh, through line, too. We're kind of all over the place. (laughs) But, yeah, like I said, just doing what feels good in the moment and uh, making it, yeah, these kind of spontaneous, contemporaneous bursts that we put down when they feel alive and exciting and then forget about them and move on to the next one.
0: Speaking of the new album, who's the dude on the album cover wearing the upside-down cross? That's
1: our friend Jake Flores. Um, he is a uh, a communist uh, stand-up comedian, very, very funny and talented guy. We brought him out on tour with us in May, June. We did a tour with the ska band called We Are The Union, and we brought Jake out as sort of like opener slash MC. And, uh, yeah, he's just a... He's a good friend and an inspiring guy. He's kind of incapable of dishonesty in a way and uh, is uh, in some ways sort of a mascot for what we're doing with our little band right now.
0: Interesting. And I like that old school approach. Speaking of the early days, 60s, 70s, I think is when they used to have bands, used to regularly have comics opening for them. So that's kind of cool bringing that, that attitude back.
1: Yeah. It's it's true that was that was the thing, uh, and then kind of stops being one. And it you know it is a tall order for a comedian to play a stage where people have come to see music because it's just a very different energy in the room. But yeah, Jake did Jake did great with it. Apparently, there were some nightmare stories with uh, Bobcat Goldfoot Goldface. Goldf- yes, his name. Yeah, um, Nirvana. Opening- Caravana. Yeah. Yeah. People were pretty amenable to Jake's thing. And when they were hostile, he he was able to work that to his advantage like a like a true pro.
0: You know, speaking of one other visual I wanted to touch <laughs> upon, too, was uh, the video for Mr. Darkside <laughs> with just a cat sitting there. And I was like, hey, that looks exactly like my cat. I was curious. Was it your cat or John's cat or Ben's cat? Who's, who's cats in that video? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's my cat, Mark. We have two cats, Mark and his brother, Jim. And, yeah, our label had sent us this, like, kind of low-energy, no-offense philosophy Records, if you're listening. Probably aren't. But uh, it was, like, a skateboarding, like, bloopers reel set to the song. And uh, we were, like, this is pretty corny, uh, no-offense, guys. And also just too young. Like, we're we're too geriatric at this point to be... <laughs> releasing skateboarding footage to our song so I was like give me a second and I you know I looked over and saw Mark taking a nap on the chair next to me and I was like he's gonna this is gonna be our music video
0: <laughs> I love it I sent it to my wife I was like look our cat's in a music video is famous our cat's named Huey but has the same exact yes, markings
1: it's crazy oh that's awesome cabbies <laughs> man
0: yeah. 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 And it's funny because we bought that cat like a decade ago and thought, oh, this is an interesting, different looking cat. And, and over the past couple of years, I've seen so many cats that look like that now. It's like.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a trip. I, I definitely have too. Down to like the same triangle marking on the forehead and everything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. And looking forward to the show out here in the IE coming up uh, September the 16th at Rock and Brews inside Yamaha. And are you bringing that same package with you, bringing the comedian with you, or is this just a one-off show and just going out there solo?
1: Yeah, this is just a one-off show. So, yeah, just us. I'm not sure what the rest of the bill looks like, but we're really looking forward to it also. It's been a while since we've played the IE or just the L.A. area, really. I guess we did a show... Where was that? Santa Ana? In like Santa Ana, yeah, 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 exactly. At the end of our of our last run. But, yeah, venues are so booked out at the moment because so many bands are, after you know not being able to tour, like, everyone is out playing shows. So there's, like, innumerable holds on most venues, um, and you kind of get what you can get. But, uh yeah. We're we're definitely looking forward to playing
0: IE and and imagine sneaking in a bunch of new tunes or keeping it to the old school set.
1: Yeah, we put in we put in a few new ones, but not enough to not enough to make people nervous. You know, we want to make <laughs> sure we're uh, we want to make sure we're giving people what they want, and then we yeah we deftly smuggle in a couple of the new ones.
0: You know, speaking of playing in the IE, I I don't know how you are with old shows. Some people are like a steel trap, and they remember every single show, and then some people forget every single show, and then some people in the middle. And thinking of the IE, I've been out here a long time, and I, I have this crazy memory of you guys playing at the University of Redlands. God, maybe two thousand three or something like that. It was an outdoor show, middle of the day, and some dude got hurt and like fell into a bush. And you jumped down and stopped, stopped the set, and jumped in the crowd and helped him out. Paramedics came and everything. But any memories of playing out here in the IE or that specific show at Redlands?
1: Yeah, I think. Are you talking about? It was a festival with like.
0: Yeah, it was like Fall Fest or something.
1: Yeah, like a bunch of punk bands,
0: right? Yeah, I think it was like Bad Religion. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally remember that show. Yeah. It's, that may have even been the last time we played there.
0: That's what I'm and thinking.
1: I, yeah, yeah, it might, it might be, which is crazy.
0: Do you remember that? Was it, it must have been like 2000. I was thinking like '03, probably, 2003-ish,
1: two-ish? 2003 sounds right for the show that I'm thinking of, definitely.
0: <laughs> Do you remember any other thoughts, any other memories from that show other than that dude getting hurt in the bushes? I don't even remember that, to be honest with you.
1: Those those would have still been my drinking days. Um, I do remember, you know, I, I remember the show in like an abstract sense because it was sort of, that was sort of an outlier gig for us, being on a bill as a radio rock band with a bunch of just, you know, straight up real punk bands. So I think that's what makes it stick out in my memory. But I don't remember too many details. I feel like I remember photographs of John F. Kennedy in the dressing room. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know why that's coming to mind. Yeah, I, I, I could be wrong. Maybe it was another president. <laughs> but, yeah, that's kind of all I remember.
0: I think Cottonmouth Kings might have been on that bill. They seemed to play out there all the time back then.
1: Yep, that sounds right.
0: You know, speaking of uh, old shows and stuff and, and uh, looking backwards a little bit, uh, I love that you guys did the the fly record live. And uh, it was kind of curious, man. Any thoughts about giving uh, Horoscope that same treatment?
1: We did a tour where we played the first record front to back for the 20th anniversary of Record One. We were going to do the same for Horoscope. We had it booked, and then COVID happened. We had to cancel it. We even tried rebooking it when our agents were feeling a bit too optimistic and ambitious about where things were headed. So we ended up having to cancel that twice. I think we will probably do the horoscope run at some point maybe at 25 the 25 year mark or something but um but yeah i think we'll probably do it we, we had a lot of fun doing that with the first with the first record and you know they're relatively short albums so it's like we play the album in its entirety and then we do another set with others you know other songs from other records newer stuff and uh and it was cool it was cool
0: it must have been weird doing the fly record and playing inside out so early on in the in the set. It was
1: weird. That was strange.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, because we normally save the hit for last, like you know, like all good one hit alternative rockers. But yeah, we uh, we played it, I guess second or third, wherever that happens. It was cool. I mean, people were there for it. The tour did really well.
0: Well, I, can't, I hope you do a horoscope uh, tour one day. And, and just w- one last touch on the the first record and and inside out and, and kind of the obligatory question though: d- when you were recording that, did it feel special, or did it just feel like another album track? Did it did it stand out to you? Did you have any idea the success it was going to bring?
1: I mean, I remember extremely naively telling Sweet Pea John, our guitar player, like the morning after I had written that chorus. I can't remember exactly what state the song was in because it had a completely different verse at first and was like this up-tempo thing but had the same chorus. And then I ended up rewriting the verses. So I don't remember what state the song was in, but I know the chorus was there. And I was like, dude, I think I wrote a song that could be on the radio. And uh, it was, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, there was something about that one, whether it was the lyric or whatever, that Even, like, my neighbor would come over when he'd hear me playing that song um, in the living room at my parents' house, you know, where I wrote it, would, like, come by the window and be like, play that Heart in a Blender one again. (laughs) So we knew there was something something kind of, like, innately reactive about it. I don't think we could have predicted the extent to which that would be true.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, most people are like, "Ah, I had no clue or or had no idea that it was going to be a hit, but interesting that you, you felt it right away.
1: Yeah, I guess I did. A weird little intuition.
0: Dude, I appreciate all the time. Last thing I got for you, we're one of those old school rock stations. We do mandatory Metallica every night at 10 p.m., which you're going to be a part of. And kind of curious, your introduction to Metallica. I mean, imagine you went through a skateboarding phase and maybe discovered them then, or you tell me.
1: I definitely went through a skateboarding phase, which is how I discovered punk rock, that's for sure. Um... First of all, it's badass that you do a Metallica hour every night. That's awesome. Um, I discovered Metallica via the one video, which got a healthy amount of play back in the day and was basically, uh, you know, just a visual nightmare. And the song was incredible. So I bought Injustice for All, got really into it my metal phase was pretty brief because just my natural, whatever taste sensibility, you know, I go toward more like major melodies and stuff like that. Like, um, you know, power pop and like melodic punk is where I sort of, my natural state is taste wise. But, um, you know, I mean, I still have the highest reverence for for Metallica. Obviously, and uh, we just finished watching HBO's The Leftovers, where they use as a recurring uh, musical theme, they bring in the orchestral version of, now I'm going to forget what song, it's a song off the Black Album, maybe Sad But True.
0: Inner or Enter Sandman. Like
1: I don't think it's Enter Sandman, but yeah, I've I i I've had Metallic on my mind for that reason.
0: Do you have a favorite Metallica song we could play for Mandatory Metallica?
1: might be a little bit obvious, but let's do one if it's not too long. I forget what the running time on that is.
0: Nah, we don't care. Mandatory Metallica will play it no matter the length. And that that makes sense. That was your introduction and, and their first video ever. Right, 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 right. That was their first video. And such a cool tune. It starts off almost like jazzy and then gets into the double bass at the end and so heavy. It's such a roller coaster ride, that tune.
1: It's incredibly heavy. It's so good. without With the bass being virtually inaudible in the mix, it's still... Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to get your two cents on that, Mr. Bassman. An album that you bought and ran out, probably probably didn't know at the time, though, being a kid, but listening to it back, yeah, there's no bass on that album.
1: Yeah, it's 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 imperceptible. Like, um certainly was on the system that I was listening on, which was like an elaborate haze of...
0: Jason Newstead. Were you playing or, bass at that time?
1: Um yeah, I was I was playing bass at that time. But bass, you know, the bass was always sort of a means to an end for me. I never you know, never became a bass bass player, bass player. It was like a utilitarian thing, like, oh we need that for the band and my you know, energy and interest was more in like melody and lyrics. So I didn't, I didn't care as much as probably most bass players did. I didn't feel slighted in, in any way. And the record, like you said, is still extremely heavy. So, I don't know. I kind of backed the choice.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. We'll rock that one for you. Beautiful, Max. Thank you so much for the time. Pleasure talking to you. Best of luck with the new album. Thank
1: you, Mike. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for your time, too. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye, man.